Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our eighth episode of 2022. Before I kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money, our gold sponsors, Joner Tools, Millennium, and MyBundle.TV and our silver sponsor, STL. You know, last week, or last Wednesday, the House Communications Subcommittee held a hearing on Connecting America, oversight of NTIA with Alan Davidson. You know, Secretary Davidson outlined the following top priorities for NTIA. Number one, closing the digital divide, which we like. Uh, Number two, ensuring access to spectrum with a national approach to spectrum use and planning. And number three, to bolster cybersecurity and public safety. You can imagine today with things going on in Russia, cybersecurity is pretty important. Um, Protect privacy and to advance uh, free and open communications around the world. You know, next week, um, both Chad and I will be in in, uh, with NTI in DC for the State Broadband Leaders Network Summit. The Fiber Broadband Association is working hard to finalize our broadband infrastructure playbook in time for that meeting. You know, we're reviewing our final drafts and look forward to having our playbook ready to go to press by this weekend. You know, yesterday, the FCC released a public notice confirming that it's going to require ISPs to submit broadband availability data as of June 30th, 2022, by September 1st, which means that broadband maps may be released later, uh, perhaps in the fourth quarter or in the first quarter of 2023. We're hopeful that the FCC now expects the challenge on their $44.9 million award to CostQuest to be close to being resolved, enabling the FCC to move forward on its critically important mapping efforts. You know, during last week's hearing, Alan Davidson reinforced that NTI is committed to using the updated uh, FCC maps for the BEAD funding. Lastly, we're extremely excited about our new regional FiberConnect workshops beginning in Baton Rouge on March 23rd. That's March 23rd. These will be one-day workshops to help communities prepare for fiber broadband infrastructure builds. So we hope to see you there. Speaking of building, that brings us this morning's Fiber Breakfast session. Today, we'll be discussing Montana takes strides to expand broadband access with our very good friend, Chad Roof. You know, last week we had an informative session on how construction digitalization can aid in addressing many of the challenges and inefficiencies in the deployment of broadband networks. Today, we'll be moving to our nation's rural and frontier areas with our good friend, Chad Roop, Montana Broadband Program Manager. Chad will share steps Montana and Connect Montana programs are taking and how the state has unveiled a broadband access map and is soliciting grant applications. Chad Roop is currently the Broadband Program Manager for the state of Montana and has served as the 21st administrator of USDA's RUS service, or I should say Rural Utility Service. Chad's credentials include leading the ReConnect Broadband Program, 
Chad implemented the 2018 Farm Bill changes to rural broadband, including smart grid deployment. He's deployed over 18 billion in federal loans and grants for 8,000 utility borrowers. In addition, Chad served as Secretary Sonny Perdue's representative to the FCC's Precision Agriculture Task Force. He has also led coordination with the U.S. Department of Energy for deployment of developed emerging technologies to improve resiliency, reliability, affordability, and security of the electric grid. Lastly, he has served as Rural Development State Director in Wyoming and has worked with the state of Wyoming in delivering the state broadband plan. So welcome, Chad. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the discussion when we get into the Q&A session. So with that, I will turn things over to Chad. Good morning, Gary, and good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me today. Um, just to start off with, I'd like to, to state that, uh, you know, we, we all recognize this is a very unique time frame. And uh, as everything goes, you know, you, you can do the best planning in the world, but uh, sometimes things impact all of our, our best laid plans. And so we're kind of in that situation as a nation right now, and it's interesting to see how things are playing out. Um, but to start off with, Montana was really a clean slate for establishing a program last year. And I, I like the idea of it. That was one of the things that attracted me to this state. Um, the fact that I didn't have to pick up a bunch of broken pieces and try and put them back, all back together again and then uh, fix a broken house, so to speak. So um, it's really exciting time to be in Montana and working on this project. Uh, Governor Gianforte, he signed legislation in the spring, Senate Bill 297 and House Bill 632 that authorized the state to move forward on implementing the federal ARPA legislation here in Montana. And I didn't start until October uh, here in, in Montana. And so we have already rolled out our first application window uh, for the inaugural program. I believe it was February 8th when we finally um, got it up and, and posted. And you know, we all understand given the current economic situation coupled with Montana's uh, restrictive construction seasons and then of course congressional deadlines to expend funds, um, we wanted to make sure that we didn't lose any more time than was necessary so that we could um, get awards announced um, in, a, in a very uh, quick fashion to ensure that uh, we had um, the ability for everybody to move forward in a, in a time sensitive manner. So we're trying to get all the awards announced by June 30th, or at least ready to be announced by June 30th. And so it's a very aggressive timeline for an inaugural program, but it's really what we needed to do in order to be able to give providers the time that they needed to be able to expend funds within the restricted timeline that Congress allowed. Um, you know, starting up a new program is really challenging to say the least. So what we really try to do is use best practices from across the nation, both within the uh, federal programs that existed, as well as trying to find other states that have done similar programs and try and garner the best information we can out of those. So, um, you know, used ReConnect really as a baseline for establishing the program. Um, but understanding as well that we've also got a lot of other infrastructure projects that are going on in the state. So we wanted to use all the current resources that we had available uh, where it made sense, adapt them to our program needs, and try not to reinvent the wheel. We had to start the program with um, a program design and reflect it with something that we're used to doing. So obviously with my background, I tried to base it off of ReConnect and then um, post up a website that walked applicants through the entire process, similar to what we did with ReConnect, um, where you have different um, aspects and timelines associated with the um, <clears throat> whole project from beginning to, 
to end, including um, auditing and all of that, reflected right on one website. And it lets people kind of walk through that entire program. So um, we needed to be able to use what we had in existence, but realizing that there were shortfalls in what we had, we have contracted with, with folks to be able to help us with such things as creating a, a new statewide broadband map. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but also with um, doing the engineering design review. I'm not an engineer by trade, I'm a banker by background. And so my expertise is not in the engineering technical aspects of designing a system. And quite frankly, in most of these states, we have a limited number of people who have that kind of capacity. Most folks are used to working on water lines and um, building uh, architectural structures that are like museums and hospitals and things like that, not in building towers. So we wanted to make sure that we had the right people at the table to look at these types of projects, understand them, know what the requirements are, and then help build on that. So getting the right people to the table to complement our team was very important. Um, but in, as in any new team and any new type of project, it's always an iterative uh, process. And so we really are focusing on an agile program management style because we know we're not gonna get everything right to begin with. Um, we know that there's gonna be things that, that break as we try to move forward. And so uh, it's very important that we have a cohesive team that can um, quickly triage the issues and be able to move forward. Um, so that's something that we've already witnessed here in the program, and I'm glad to see that um, we're reacting in a, in a very effective fashion. But some of the other things that we're noticing as we move forward with this program is identifying a lot of the other needs that are uh, a concern throughout the state. Um, throughout a lot of Western states, you know, I've traveled quite a lot, and um, in many of these states, especially out West, we have a, a broad uh, gap in not just the digital divide, but also cell phone coverage. So trying to find ways to complement um, solving those issues with the existing programs is very important. It's very much a priority of this governor, Governor Gianforte, to try and help find ways to solve that problem as well, because it's a significant public safety concern. For instance, today it's 17 below zero um, outside right now. And if someone breaks down on a remote county road or state highway, uh, it can literally be a life-threatening situation. And so we wanna make sure that um, we try to close that gap along with it and use the resources that we have available to try and complement it. And it's a real concern because what you've seen out of Congress right now is a focus on 5G. Well, where does 5G make sense? Most of 5G is focused on urban areas where service already is. It's not focused on solving that rural uh, cell phone coverage gap. And we have assets that we could um, help bring to the table to help with building out in those areas in addition to solving the broadband uh, needs at the same time. So finding ways to complement programs is very, very important because obviously no matter how much money the federal government has to put towards these efforts, it's always limited and it's never enough. So um, those that's kind of the, the initial focus of our program. And what I'd like to do is show you the next slide because I'm pretty proud of, of the map that we've developed. Um, there's been you know, some discussion about the map, a little bit of criticism, things like that, as you would expect with any map. Uh, but we wanted to really take a different approach in how we looked at mapping out um, the state of Montana. Everybody knows that the FCC map that has been in place for quite some time is very flawed, especially when you talk out west and you see the size of these counties. You think about the size of Montana and sometimes a census block could be an entire county. Um, that's a big issue when you say that you serve 
um, the county by serving one facility in that county that dr drastically overstates what is currently served. So we took a very granular approach. We said, okay, let's get down to the address level. So we contracted with Lightbox. They've done some work in Georgia and a few other states to um, put together a statewide broadband map. And then this one, we had to um, focus in and gather provider data over a very short period of time to get it up and running. Like I mentioned, I didn't start until October. Um, we got Lightbox contracted in late December. Over the holidays, we asked providers for their information. And in less than 60 days, we published the first iteration of the map. And I'm proud to say that even as of last night at 5.30, we published our, our first iteration of that map improvement. And you see that here. Um, we did some things to help highlight and uh, reduce some of the confusion on the map. But most importantly, what we did is we have a way to identify whether or not there's service at each individual address level where there is a building or a broadband serviceable location at that address. Now, obviously, there's a lot of Montana that doesn't have any buildings on it. There's a lot of ag land, there's a lot of forest, there's a lot of things like that. And that's not to say there's not a need there eventually, but we wanted to focus on the immediate need of fixed broadband service to locations where we know people live, work, and uh, play, if you will, and where we can focus on getting good, sustainable quality broadband service to fixed locations throughout the state. Um, there's significant need in Montana. And so using this map as a baseline starting point for information purposes, not authoritative purposes, was key. Because we all know that when you put boots on the ground, chances are the map's gonna be a shortcoming to what's actually there. And so we're using this as a baseline of information to help applicants find potential opportunities and then do their own due diligence and go and research these areas and find opportunities. We were also very careful not to overbuild. We understand congressional intent very well. It's been very well laid out in legislation to say do not overbuild. So we blocked off areas such as hard off and reconnect and uh, areas where that already have federal funding dedicated to provide um, what is considered served in the state of Montana of 100 down 20 up with low latency. Um, that's the definition of service. And if someone builds out in our program, they have to look to try to build a 100 symmetrical. Um, and if they can't, they have to justify why. Um, so, you know, this this is a baseline map. It gives even the, the common citizen the opportunity to participate. Uh, we have UCLA's uh, speed test um, on our website so that if someone is curious as to what their actual speeds are at their location at that given time, they can do that. Uh, obviously, we all know that someone's actual speed test may not reflect what the capacity is and availability of service is at that location for many reasons, but it's a way for um, the common person to, to participate and provide feedback back through a crowdsource system to help support the information and, and uh, auditing, if you will, um, of what's currently available out there and help us kind of fill in the gap. This is an iterative map. Like I said, it's an agile improvement. We are um, seeking more information constantly for our review process because it's very important in the end state, we give the right information to our commission to make recommendations to the governor on the $266 million that we currently have available in this application window. So we wanna gather the best information we can to do the proper underwriting. Um, so that's that's the basics of the map. And uh, when we take that information and we 
give it to the providers. They can then uh, submit an online application through our submittable platform, which is what we use for other infrastructure projects throughout the state. So from beginning to end, it's an online application. Uh, it allows the people to rapidly move through it and it allows our team to work remotely uh, and get a lot of these um, efforts put together in a much more timely fashion than the old paper process that you used to see even four or five years ago at the federal level that would then delay decision-making over a longer period of time. But in all of this, it is critical that we continue to have good communications internally and externally. We have daily meetings through Microsoft Teams with our, um, our engineering staff, our IT staff, our program staff, um, and then we're constantly uh, doing outreach throughout the state with both providers and legislators and uh, communities and anybody else that we feel we need to, to speak with in order to deliver this program. So um, that's that's the basics of, of how we have the program set up. And like I said, it's, it's awfully nice not to have to um, reinvent the wheel and build a broken house. So, uh, or rebuild a broken house. It's, it's nice to have a clean slate to be able to work, move forward. Uh, having said that, if we could move to the next slide, some of the things that we're working on is kind of what's around the corner. Um, some of the things that were near-term and there's some things that are more uh, longer term that, that we're concerned about that we wanna make sure that we uh, deal with. We knew it would be important with the federal map that, that Gary mentioned that's coming out here uh, at the end of this next year to have an ability to contest the map. And so we have to have a, our own map and a process that is solid to be able to contest any false information that is that we deem false that has been reported to uh, the FCC or the FCC conveys. Um, so having our own capacity to deliver and the detailed information and work with our providers here in the state allows us to ensure that um, we're getting the best information out to those federal resources. Because one of the concerns that we have and that I have is that um, this federal map could be authoritative rather than informative. And if it's authoritative, it'll restrict different areas that may need service where um, they may not have service or be uh, funded to receive service. And so it's very important that, that uh, we have that capacity to interact with our, our federal partners and ensure that um, our state gets the best uh, read on what's available and what it can do moving forward. Um, we're also constantly tracking new developments because, <clears throat> excuse me, there are so many things happening at the federal level right now that it's truly difficult to keep up. Not only do we have um, the traditional programs, but we have new programs. We have awards that are being announced by different agencies and different entities um, const constantly and trying to understand uh, where federal awards are planned for, uh, where they're known to be is a constant challenge. For instance, NTIA has the tribal program that they rolled out. And even though that we, we have no idea who has applied uh, of the to the tribal programs, even though we have many tribes here in the state with a lot of reservation in Indian country, we wanna make sure that um, we don't overbuild, but it's really hard to know what's been approved and what's uh, authorized in certain tribal areas where there's significant need. And NTIA has been very close hold on the information until they, actually announce the individual award. Well, that's a problem because we don't even know if people have applied in certain areas. And so having communication and, and coordination is key. So uh, like I said, it's a constant process um, trying to keep up with all the different programs and make sure that we have good communications being handled at the in good faith at all levels. Um, 
talking about the the issues of um, Indian country, we didn't recognize that you know that's an area where there's significant there's a significant digital divide, and also there's key affordability issues in those areas. And so we tried to design our program to incentivize carriers to or providers to go out there and offer affordable plans like the FCC's new affordable connectivity program that they've got so that um, participants in our um, grant, grant program, if you will, are, are out there and um, offering those types of services out to their, their uh, subscribers. Um, in addition to that, we wanna make sure that we are cost sensitive on these builds. And when I say that, I'm talking about middle mile fiber. Uh, having the capacity for open access middle mile fiber can be very significant out here out west where you have low density population. So if there is fiber that's in the ground and it has uh, capacity, um, we want to incentivize carriers to have that um, fair market commercial availability for that fiber to be used by other carriers or providers so that they can offer that service further down the line. We talked about um, you know, the, the cell phone divide. Um, you know, if there's somebody that needs to put up a tower halfway between towns and there's fiber that's running between towns, it'd be great to be able to have that, the capacity for that fiber um, access so that uh, we can close the, 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 broad, or the, the cell phone divide along with the, the digital divide. Additionally, a carrier might be interested in providing service in this town, but not the next one down. And rather than having to spend federal money or state money to then uh, overbuild an existing fiber line would much prefer to be able to use that resource in a different area or further down the line rather than putting fiber on top of fiber when we have this uh, stark digital divide out there. So that's some of the incentives we try to to ensure that we put into the program so that um, we're really understanding the all aspects of, of affordability, not just the idea of subsidies for subscribers, but actually cost sensitivity in the build and maintenance of a system. Well, some of the other things that we tried to incentivize, again, using best practices, we looked at USDA's Community Connect program, which is again, something I ran, and the ability to offer free service at a community anchor institution uh, for people who can't afford service, no matter the price. You know, you think about um, kids that are born into poverty and the ability for them to succeed, we wanna be able to give everybody the access and opportunity. And that's one way to incentivize. Uh, providers to offer that for a period of three years at some of these community institutions. So those are some of the things that, that we've done. Um, there are a lot of things that we'll need to look at for changing though, as we move forward um, to the IIJA money, you know, the infrastructure bill money, there's some restrictive items that uh, are in our state law now that uh, we need to address. And so our legislature, we need to understand the timeline of our legislature and how that works. And so we're working on proposed legislation uh, to accommodate some of these needs so that we can hit the ground running again with that sensitivity towards timelines uh, when IIJA becomes available to build out some of these areas as we move forward. Um, you know, unlike ARPA, the IIJA stuff, those projects have to go before the uh, Commerce Department to ensure that it's meeting the requirements that they have. It's not the same method that the Treasury Department used. So, we have to be sensitive to those things and make sure that we're accommodate that, accommodating them within the state. So every state needs to be able to look at their own legislation and do their backward planning appropriately. Um, and then if we could move on to the next slide, there's a lot of things that we need to look at moving forward um, in addition to things that are just around the corner. 
you know, some of the things that uh, I see out there, and we're coordinating now with uh, the Department of Transportation for dig once policies, but there's a lot of needs at the local level and permitting that goes on at the local level and within state agencies. So it'd be wonderful if we could adopt things like what they did in Arizona with the state permitting council and somebody to coordinate that permitting effort at the state level so that we don't lose time frames uh, for building and entire seasons for buildings because something's sitting on somebody's desk that they're just buried and don't have time to be able to look at it because they're focused on so many other permits at the same time because they're building roads, they're building bridges, they're building water projects, all of these other things. And we want to make sure that there's some coordinated effort. So, you know, that's something that is um, kind of a pet project of mine is to try to advance that effort because I understand the impact that it can have on these builds. Um, and again, uh, looking at the BEAD program that NTIA, NTIA has coordinating with our state legislature and um, trying to coordinate those efforts. And it, I think that, um, and I'll mention this as I have to other trade associations, uh, is that we really need um, Gary and you and your membership to, to make sure that we uh, ask for more time from Congress uh, because inflation is creating a, a uh, imposition on the availability of assets. And when we don't have that ability to, to work on uh, projects over an extended period of time, it means that we have uh, less that we can do with the same amount of money. So we need to, to stretch that out. Um, obviously, I love the workforce training program that you've got developed. I think that is outstanding. And I um, would love to get that implemented here in the state of Montana. And I think every state should be doing that as well. Um, and then one of the other big things that I'm concerned about here in the state um, is making sure, and throughout the, the, the Western US, is making sure that we have good quality internet exchange points and middle mile enablers so that um, you know, we have the capacity to, to carry affordable um, subscriptions for folks uh, to where it's not such a high overhead for the carriers. So um, those are some of the big things. And I guess uh, with all of that, I'd, I'd be more than happy to open it up for questions and have a discussion if you like. Well, Chad, um, we're so glad you're in Montana. Um, I looked up on broadband now and it ranked Montana 50th of the nation in broadband <laughs> yeah. connectivity. And you know, think about your topology. I mean, you got counties like Daniels where you have you know, 99.3% coverage. And then you have somewhere like Broadwater where it's 11% coverage. Um, you know, so you have quite a bit of density mix between urban areas, I'll call it quasi-urban, to very rural and, you know, very extreme areas. One of the things that you mentioned on overbuild, that this, that I have this real issue with no overbuilding because it all depends on what you define as overbuilding. So in Montana, RDOF has, you know, awarded, not confirmed, but awarded, Starlink with 640,000 locations, many of those locations over Montana. And so are the, are you blocking out a LEO satellite area as saying you cannot now put infrastructure there? Yeah, Gary, there's multiple aspects to this. First of all, um, all the people that received RDOF winning bids, um, they in Montana, they all did it above the 120 with low latency promise. So having made that condition on there, if they complete the efforts that they have for those bids, then those are dedicated funds. Congress has stated that, you know, they will not allow overbuilds. In addition to that, the Montana Public Service Commission also said that um, it was in the public's best interest to award them ETC status. 
So I have to be sensitive to that. Now, if at any point in time, um, any winning bid goes into default, that opens that back up for bids. And so even if it's not available for this round of funding, say if any carrier goes into a default status, and let's say the application window is closed, that would reopen the eligibility for those areas in subsequent rounds of funding efforts. And so um, it acknowledges what the FCC and Congress has stated, um, but it doesn't completely shut it off in case it does come into a default status. Now, having said that, um, people can still build in those areas if they so choose. They just can't use federally sourced funding to do those builds. Um, you can build through an area to get to another last mile area, but um, you just can't do last mile connections within those areas. So we had um, a question of what is the best way for tribal communities to communicate with you? Um, really, the best way to communicate with us is either calling on us or we have Misty Cool, who is the uh, tribal liaison for the governor's office, and we can we work with her on a very routine basis. We've done um, some some seminars, uh, but they could really just just do the contact us tab on our, our website uh, and we get all of those questions and we'd be more than happy to reach out and have a conversation with any tribe that um, hasn't had a conversation with us so far or if they need clarity of information I'm more than happy to have direct contact there as well so one another question was realistically when do you anticipate construction to begin on these projects and do you have an organization in place responsible for the coordination of such services um, when we're talking about when does when will things begin with construction, the um, realistically, I think that constru some construction can begin um, this fall uh, before freeze happens. Uh, but more realistically, most of the hard construction will will be next year. Um, that's just the reality of it, given Montana's restrictive construction season. We're trying to move as quickly as we can, trying to be sensitive to people's needs. Um, I don't want to be the reason for delay in a lot of this stuff, so we're moving as quickly as we can to get things moving. Um, as far as coordinating the efforts, yeah, we have um, people contracted. Our engineering team is helping us with review and also with monitoring. We're using a reimbursement process as we move forward, much as in ReConnect, so that um, as each uh, construction phase comes in on a monthly basis, we're uh, doing reimbursement to track build-outs and then monitor over the five-year time frame. Well, Chad, I can't think of a better person to lead Montana's broadband efforts. So thank you for what you're doing for Montana. Thank you for what you did for the nation with your job as the head of RUS. And um, look forward to seeing you next week in DC. Thanks, Gary. It'd be good to see you too. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, so and, uh, appreciate everybody's hard work. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We'll be discussing elevating the Field Technician, MetroNet's University Progressive Training Programs with Kyle Hamilton. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this, and we'll look forward to seeing everyone next Wednesday.